Welcome to Trial Lawyer View, a podcast for and about trial lawyers. We will tell the stories about trial lawyers who go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. This is about their stories and their practices. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Lazarus, your host for Trial Lawyer View. Thank you for tuning in today for another episode. Trial Lawyer View is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. In full disclosure, I'm not a professional podcaster. Instead, my day job is Chief Executive Officer of Synergy Settlement Services. Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues that arise at settlement, like troublesome lien resolution issues, Medicare secondary payer compliance, government benefit preservation techniques, and complex settlement planning. Joining me today on Trial Law Review is Michael Mills. He is a 22-plus year Florida trial lawyer practicing with the Injury Assistance Law Firm in my hometown of Orlando. Uh, Let me tell you a bit about him. As an attorney, he has spent over six years practicing insurance defense litigation for law firms such as the Chetty Law Firm, Conroy Simberg, He spent two years at a mid-sized plaintiff's firm practicing PIP and bodily injury before venturing out on his own with a longtime friend from law school in 2008. For the last six years, he's helped build a very successful personal injury department with Graham and Mills, attorney at law, where he focused on representing clients in the areas of personal injury, wrongful death, auto accidents, and slip and falls. From there, he founded the Injury Assistance Law Firm, where for the last eight years, he has represented hundreds of car and truck accidents and slip and fall victims retrieve millions for their injuries. Most recently, he founded the Injury Assistance Network, which is an online medical and service provider network that makes it easier for personal injury attorneys and the general public to find attorney vetted, conveniently located medical and service providers to help care for their clients. Michael's aiming to coverage uh, in the whole state in the short term, but eventually nationwide. He earned his BA in poli sci from the University of Central Florida, my undergraduate alma mater, and his JD from FSU College of Law, uh, also where I went to law school. Uh, So we are both graduates of UCF and FSU. Um, At Florida State College of Law, he was a Virgil Hawkins Scholar and editor of the Journal of Transnational Law and Policy which I published an article in that journal uh, while I was in law school too. Uh, I wanted to have Michael on the podcast because I was really interested in in his story and also uh, learning more about the Injury Assistance Network that he created. Michael, welcome to Trial Law Review. Great to have you as a guest today. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, Before getting into all the law stuff, um, I know you and I both are, are passionate about the sport of cycling. What got you started on the bike? Uh, funny story. Um, actually, my, my frat brother uh, was instrumental in, in getting me on, on the bike. Um, he had been bothering me about riding for about two two or three months. And I kept pushing it off. I was like, no, you guys wake up too early. Uh, no, I don't want to wear those tight shorts. No, no, no. And then one day I was like, what the heck? And I went out and just fell in love with it and have been riding ever since. Yeah, it's an incredible sport. I started when I was uh, 13 years old, started riding. Oh, wow. So I've been doing it a, a long time and absolutely love the freedom of, of getting out there and the way that makes you feel uh, being yeah. being out on the roadways. Um, 
but it's only been six years for me. Uh, well, still, that's a long time, and it's it's a demanding yeah. sport. You know, I mean, it's it's tough on the it body, is. and uh, well, I, I think you know um, that I got struck by a car while cycling locally. Do you right. have any fear of being on the road with so many distracted drivers these days? Because being a trial lawyer and someone who handles these types of cases, do you? Do you find that you're all the time. out there? Um, yeah. You know what? I I do not cycle by myself. If I'm going on the road, it has to be with a group of cyclists, um, uh, the peloton, as, as they call it, uh, just because it's uh, easier for uh, vehicles or drivers to see us uh, when we're in bigger groups. Um, not to say they won't be more distracted or be any less distracted, but they're, we're easier to see when we're in a bigger group. Um, and with all the construction and development that's going on in, in the central Florida area, it's just becoming more more risky to, to cycle because folks, seems like folks are moving in from elsewhere and they just don't have the patience um, for a lot of cyclists. We've been encountering more and more angry drivers as we try to uh, get our cycling in lately. So that's unfortunate, but it won't stop me. Yeah. I, even though it was pretty traumatic what I went through, I, I was determined for it not to, you know, prevent me from cycling, but I'm certainly much more attuned to things given that right. happening. Cause I, you know, I rode by myself an awful lot when I was training and racing and never really thought too much of it. Cause I had done it, you know, for a very long time from, you know, age 13 to 46 was when I got hit. So I, and I had had some brushes, but never certainly anything like what happened on, on that day. And, and it, ironically, it was not, uh, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, the anniversary of it, but I always, uh, post, I post a picture just to remind yeah. you know people, Hey, you got vulnerable pedestrians sharing the road, whether it's a jogger or a walker or someone on a bike, you know, the car, car is a dangerous instrumentality when it strikes a pedestrian that's got no protection at all. Right. Yeah. And, and folks, I, I just don't understand how they don't understand how risky, like we have people that will drive closer to us just to be, yeah. uh, I guess, give a scare or blow the horn or whatever the case. And I'm talking like big trucks with the extended, uh, side view mirrors and they i guess they think it's funny but they don't realize how dangerous that can be how life-changing that can be to themselves and and to the cyclists yeah it's funny you say that over the years i've had someone pull up next to me pour a big gulp on my head i had somebody reach out and slap me on my back when they were driving by i mean that's wow. that's even worse right i mean but if you do yeah. it, you do it long enough you know you get people that you know think they're um they're they're being funny or cute or whatever but it it is incredibly dangerous because when you go down yeah i mean you know if, if they cause a crash even just yourself you know and, and you hit the pavement if you're going 18 to 20 miles an hour which sometimes we're going a lot faster than that 18 to 20 right. it, it hurts because i've I've Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate. I, I just did that uh, last last November. I still have the scar to show. So, oh, yeah. uh, and that road rash is no joke. Now, uh, yeah, for sure. 
Well, so when I was doing some uh, research for the podcast, I saw um, in a video about your law firm and you were cycling in it, which was cool. You, you talked about right. hard work, heart and hustle and overcoming obstacles. And that that's always been my mindset. So it, it spoke to me. Where did that come from for you? Um, that that has been well, uh, what happened was we were having and this was with some television execs and we were talking about. Uh, what drives me because they wanted they wanted you know my uh, my ad campaign to be more than just what what everyone else sees on on TV for a law firm ad and um, I was just speaking about uh, cycling and you know how uh, it's a lot of hard work um, and I equated that to everything else that we do uh, in our lives that require a lot of hard work and a lot of effort if we're going to be successful. Um, also, the heart that it requires because you know you can't just uh, if you're riding out there for for 60 miles in the middle of nowhere, it requires heart because you can't just stop and say I quit, I give up because you still have to get back home. Um, and then the hustle part is uh, just you know the the never-ending drive to keep moving forward, keep going and, and, uh, get that end result that you're looking for. So, uh, hard work, hard and hustle. Um, it fits me, it fits, uh, the law firm, it fits, uh, my, my enthusiasm for cycling. And I, I think it, it was just a perfect fit. So that's what we went with hard work, hard and hustle. Yeah. I love that. I have it on, I have it on my, my cycling Jersey and everything else that I do. Yeah. I might even get a tattoo. <laughs> I love it. I, I, that's, you know, that's how I, I've always approached business school before that athletic. And it, I, I think it came from my parents seeing them come down here to Orlando, start a business from scratch and build it and all the, the heart and hard work and hustle that it takes, you know, I mean, just like you with your firm and me here with Synergy, it's, um, you know, it's certainly um, not something that just comes to you. <laughs> you know, uh, if, if you're building well, from scratch, it's, it's a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nonstop. So what, what was it that drove you to become a trial lawyer and, you know, your passion for being a trial lawyer? What's behind that? Um, well, I would say um, I kind of, I was kind of guided uh, to it. Um, when I, when, when I went into law school, uh, I didn't know anything, uh, I didn't know anything about, uh, plaintiff work or any of that. I, I saw law basically from, uh, LA law, you know, that, sh that show back in the nineties and everybody was a corporate lawyer. So it was my goal to be a corporate lawyer, you know, going through law school and then as I started going through law school, I, I realized that that wasn't quite what was uh, my interest. Um, and then fresh out of school, um, I got a job at an insurance defense firm uh, up in up in Tallahassee, the Chiquetti Law Firm. And I started to enjoy that. And we moved here to Orlando and I got a, a, another insurance defense uh, job uh, at, at Conroy Simberg. And that's where I actually learned a lot of uh, the things that you need to do as a good PI attorney or a good defense attorney, uh, the the um, discovery and the depositions and 
uh, doing the mediations and all those things. Uh, but as I went along, I, I realized that uh, being on the insurance company side wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, I'm more of a people person. Um, and, you know, working for the insurance companies and, and try to trying to find a way for them to pay less to somebody that was injured or, you know, I saw uh, probably uh, could use the money. I didn't, I, it didn't, it didn't sit well with me. Um, I'm originally from the Virgin Islands, uh, from St. Croix. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we grew up with a, a lot less there. And, you know, I, I think I got my empathy uh, for folks from, from just my upbringing and from my mom and, you know, working for the insurance uh, company, it just didn't sit well. I just prefer to be able to help people. I love um, when I get done with the case and, you know, uh, hand, hand my client a check, the smile that, that, that they give, I get hugs, you know, I get thank yous. I be, they become forever my clients. That's, that's what I respond to. You know, I, I really, I really can appreciate the efforts that I, that I, uh, I put into, into the case. And, uh, that spoke to me more than, uh, working for the insurance company. Well, I can definitely connect with that because I started my career out doing insurance defense work. And when I decided that I was going to get into the settlement services world, I always wanted to do the plaintiff side because I, I never felt like I was doing anything that helped. I, you know, I understood uh -huh. I had a job to do to represent the insurance companies, but, sure. you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you, if you're, Someone like you or me who who has that empathy for people and wants to feel like they're doing something to help people, that's that's what calls you. And, and I've tried to use that empathy here as as one of our one of our corporate uh, values is empathy. And I try to use you know, that um, example of all of these people what they've been through before they you know wind up at our doorstep having our team truly understand who they are trying to help and our mission of just improving those people's lives by, you know, reducing liens, dealing with Medicare and the government benefits, how important all that is. And, you know, Absolutely. for you guys, what you do is, you know, it, it truly is a service um, to those people. It, it is in service of those people. And, um, you know, having that empathy and, and feeling, I think, is one of the top things a trial lawyer needs to have, um, and everybody that's been on this podcast, um, you know, very successful trial lawyers all, you know, talk about that connection, I think in some form or fashion. Yeah. And, and your, um, your client can definitely tell, um, they, they can tell when, uh, you really and truly care about them and their case. And, uh, it's not just another file for you. And, um, you know, I'm glad that they can pick up on that because, yeah, w when I'm on a case and when I'm, I'm doing everything that I can do to try and get the best possible result for my client, I want I want them to know that that you know this this is something that I take seriously. So um, I was actually going to ask you about doing defense side and what made you decide to move over. Was there any particular you know case where you said you know what? this is just the straw that broke the camel's back or, or was it just simply over time you just felt like you, you just weren't um, doing what you were supposed to be doing? Um, 
uh, it was twofold. Um, there, there was a particular case, but that wasn't what uh, the straw was that broke the camel's back, as, as they said. It was a particular case where uh, we had to defend someone um, where a drunk driver ran over a guy um, that was changing his tire on the side of the road and drug him for uh, some distance, and they wouldn't pay the policy limits. And I could not understand why they, you know, why did why did they even hire us? Why why not just tender those limits? I think, uh, and I believe it was only like three hundred thousand dollars, may have been a million, but in either case, that that's that's someone's life. Um, now I wasn't specifically working on that. I wasn't the lead attorney on that file, but it was a it was a pretty uh, major file for us, and so. I, I was involved in some, and I, I was an associate, so I was just involved in some of the the discovery stuff, I believe, um, on the file. Um, but that wasn't what, what did it for me. Um, actually, what did it was um, a month or so after my my twins were born, um, I took some time off uh, from, from, uh, from the office to help my wife care for our newborn twins. And um, because I took that time off, I was required to make up that time in the following year, which would require me to work 75 plus hours a week and take that much time away from being with my twins. And, and by that time I had been there for about four or five years already. And I was already at that, that tipping point and that is what uh, what what kind of broke the camel's back because I, I didn't want to take any more time away from my family and from my newborn twins um, to be at the office just billing hours. So uh, I decided, you know what, this is a good time to to make that change, and so I did. Yeah, I think one of the things I hated the most about doing defense work in, in terms of just the the day to day was you know, point one, point two, you know, a timesheet and billable hour yeah, requirement. Yeah. And being expected to bill no matter what. And I never, right. I just never felt comfortable with that. Even, you know, just the, the idea of that, that, you know, really that's not what it's all about. Point ones and point twos right. and point fives. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's how the insurance, that's how the insurance offense uh, firms are, are built. So, you know, it, it's it's so much. It's and just being at work doesn't mean that you're you're billing time either. So yeah, you know, you actually have to. There has to be some uh, some physical thing that you have done or accomplished for that to actually count towards your billable hours. Um, so at seventy five plus hours a week, I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm gonna pass on that. Yeah, uh, there's better ways for me to spend my time than than trying to bill. Yeah, that, that's, and that's, uh, being being on the plaintiff side and, and just being able uh, to be judged by the results of your effort is far far superior to to the whole billable hour thing. So, in terms of your practice, what things do you look for to maximize the settlement of personal injury cases? Um. Well, you know, there there's certain things that that goes into uh, the value of case, uh, of a personal injury cases, as you're aware. 
um, we try to make sure that uh, our clients, um, depending on, on their injury, we try to make sure that they are seen by the best medical providers possible uh, because those, those medical providers are, uh, they, they work twofold. One, they, they help get the client better uh, or back to maximum medical improvement. And two, when when they know what they're doing, um, they provide us with the ammunition that we need as an, uh, as PI attorneys to aggressively litigate the case for our clients. Um, you, know, you know, other than that, other things come into play that's outside of our control, such as you know what the policy limits are and and, and uh, you know what the liability is and, and things like that, but. For those things that are in in our control, I definitely want to focus on making sure that my client gets the treatment that they need, and then uh, that treatment then results in the medical records that I need in order to prepare a strong demand. And if the insurance company doesn't give uh, the offer that we think the case is worth or value that, I will have the necessary medical records and documentation. Uh, that I need to to put the case into litigation and and, and go forward. Yeah, it's so important to get to the right providers. I know that was um, you know very important for me in my treatment after getting struck. Um, you know, and yeah, absolutely. As you said, though, those providers play a key role in in ultimately where that case gets settled for, just because they're they're going to be one of the key witnesses. To prove out right. the uh, the damages side of things, so right, and, and they the documentation is is so so important because you know somebody some somebody can uh, complain to me that you know I've been having neck pain and it's been really really bad, but unless it's documented in those medical records that the patient has been complaining about neck pain, especially from the beginning uh, or back pain or wherever. Uh, if it's if it's not documented, I can't just say, "Well, my client is still complaining about neck pain." That that doesn't work. It has to be documented, and it requires uh, it requires a, a provide medical provider that's going to listen to the to their patient and then document the records accordingly. So um, we we talked a little bit about um, empathy because um, you had brought it up uh, and. I was wondering, with personal injury cases that you handle, what are the top three things you do to empathize with the clients to make sure that you tell their story to the jury, focusing on you know what they're left with after being injured, or or even you know at mediation, how how do you how do you connect and then be able to convey exactly what that client's been through, or as much as you can convey exactly what that client's been through. Well, um, I, I like to start with with just um, where where the per, uh, where the client comes from and what type of work and and just their 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 general background um, and how how their life was prior to the accident um, and then based uh, you know based from there we go into the the accident and the injury and how it's affected their life subsequent to to uh, being injured and you know obviously in, in Florida in order for uh, us to pro, uh, pro proceed with a, per, a personal injury case we have to be able to show that there's some sort of permanency especially in a car accident and you know in doing so 
being able to show how their life and this is this isn't anything you know genius or off the chart it's just uh, it's just what you need to do you have to show the comparison to what their life was prior to the accident and how how they are now um and it, it can be it can be tricky sometimes because um especially when we're dealing with with, with um, men or, or women that you know are the the uh, breadwinners of their family uh, some of them are are super proud and uh, won't actually don't actually like to tell everything that they're going through so it's incumbent on us to try to bring that out for them uh, a lot of times these injuries will affect their their uh, their relationships uh, with their their significant other their spouse and um, it's important for us to also uh, bring that to the forefront because that's that's major um, that you know our, our loved ones and our relationships uh, with our loved loved ones are are key to our overall happiness and so if uh, if that relationship has changed as a result of uh, the injury that you suffered from from an accident a slip and fall or whatever the case may be you know it's important that that we're able to articulate that uh, to the jury or to the mediator or whatever the case may be so that they just they know it's not just you know a run of a run-of-the-mill injury and and this person is, is really doing fine but we're trying to make it uh, to be you know everything that it's not and and so bringing out those key things for me I, I think it, uh, it's really important and while doing uh, the research for the podcast, I saw that in 2020, you were named one of the top 100 national black lawyers, I think from the National Bar Association. Why are you involved with that organization and what is the significance of that organization for you? Um, well, uh, for me, it's, it's just important uh, to be a, a part of, of the National Bar Association uh, because I'm not sure if you're aware, but I think African Americans, on a whole, uh, in in the U.S., I believe we only make up, I think we make up less than five percent of the of the total uh, uh, attorney population. Um, and here in Florida, I think it's even less than that. It's two to three percent. Um, so being a part of a bar organization that kind of recognizes. Um, the the uh, the contributions that we make as as African American attorneys, I think that's that's important. I'm also a member of the American uh, Bar Association, but you know it's it's just it's just a, a way that you know we can con connect with other uh, African American attorneys as well all across the nation. Have you? Because that's sort of why I was asking. I was wondering, you know, in your experiences. As a trial lawyer, have you experienced anything you think differently because you're a man of color? As a trial lawyer, um, I would say uh, probably in in uh, for Dyer when 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 we're doing trials, it's it, it becomes more uh, more present, um, and and especially as a as a African American attorney, I. I represent a lot of African American clients, obviously, or not, maybe not obviously, but I, I do rep, uh, represent a lot of African American clients. And um, when I, I think when uh, we're going to trial and being able to, 
you know, discern uh, during voir dire um, whether somebody may be, you know, a little apprehensive or a little biased against or for uh, my client because of their race or uh, because of where they're from. Um, it's important for me to be able to uh, recognize that and make sure that we address that so that that person doesn't do a disservice to my client uh, on, in, during a trial. So if you were going to speak to a group of um, newer attorneys who were black, what what would you give them as advice in terms of navigating the practice of law given you know what you've just expressed um i i would say that um it's important to uh definitely put yourself out there um you want to be um you want to you you want to be known as just a good attorney that just so happens to be black you know um that that's 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 a preference um it's so uh for me the way i i did it uh was you know i created my my whole uh network of different different uh people in general including doctors other attorneys uh other professionals and in doing so um you know i think I was able to just, just create a network of different people that I can turn to for advice, um, uh, conversation, and uh, also they're an excellent uh, client source. So, um, and that, that didn't occur overnight, obviously. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because um, when, when I was a younger attorney, I did not miss a happy hour on a Friday afternoon or a Friday evening. I was at every happy hour downtown, um, you know, meeting folks, uh, having drinks, and just forming relationships. And um, fast forward to 20 plus years later, those relationships that I, I started back uh, in my insurance defense days, those relationships still to this day uh, are very, very important and have uh, been able to help me in so many different ways that I didn't even think about back then when when uh, we started the relationship. So I would say put yourself out there. Um, don't stay in your little box. Um, don't be afraid to, to meet folks that you don't know um, because you never know what can come from that. Great advice. Well, so let's um, let's transition because I wanted to talk to you about um, the Injury Assistance Network. Uh, what sure. led you, well, what is it first, and then what led you to found that type of venture? Sure. Um, the Injury Assistance Network is an online medical and service provider uh, directory for the personal injury industry. Um, and and what, what led me to it was... Um, you know, years ago, I, I, I came up with the idea probably in, in, in 2017. So we're going on five years now. Um, and it was because I would have clients, um, that was outside of the Orlando central Florida area. So in South Florida, 
Uh, I have clients in Jacksonville, sometimes in Tallahassee, and I wouldn't know who to send them to for medical treatment. And, and as I said, I see medical treatment as one of those, uh, one of the key things that helps me to help first help get the client better, but also help me to build a case so that I can maximize the value of that case. Um, and not knowing who to go to or who to send my client to to make sure that uh, they're going to get that quality care and I'm going to get the quality medical records uh, that I need uh, to aggressively represent the client uh, was, was an issue. Uh, I'd either have to go on Google or call up another attorney and say, hey, you know of a doctor in such and such area. And I just figured that there was a better way to do that. Uh, another thing, folks would come into my office from different medical providers' offices and tell me where they're from and that they have a great clinic. And uh, two months or so from then, I'd get a client in that area. And by that time, I knew somebody came in, but I don't remember their name. I don't remember where I did with the, with the business card. I was like, you know what? There has to be a better way to do this. And that's how uh, Injury Assistance Network was born. I went ahead and started started the um, the, the company and um, actually back in 2017 I kind of had I started it and then kind of put it on the back burner. I came up with the logo and everything I incorporated and then I got busy with firm work <laughs> and um, uh, three years later or so in 2020 for some odd reason I just had a little extra time on my hands. Um, we'll just call it COVID time. <laughs> And so um, I was like, well, with everything else, that everything had slowed down to a basic grind. And I was like, well, let me start putting some more time into, into that idea that I had. And um, uh, that's what I've been doing. So I, I worked on getting, getting the website uh, to the point where I wanted it and to the point where it is today. Uh, that happened by uh, August of 2021. And uh, then I, I launched and started adding uh, medical and service providers uh, starting in October of 2021. And we have been growing ever since. So yeah, if you looked into the future, how do you think Injury Assistance Network will help injury victims and trial lawyers as it grows? Absolutely. Um, as it grows, um, you know, with, with, uh, the world just be becoming so much more uh, tech technological, basically. Um, you know, we're still going to need and we're still going to have the need for marketers, but being able to just go online, uh, choose the, the, the provider or, or the specialty that you're looking for, and then choose the location that you're looking for, and then something comes, uh, somebody or a practice comes up that's already been vetted. Uh, you already know your, your client is going to get uh, uh, good, good care and you're going to be provided with the medical records that you need. You know, the provider is going to send them out uh, as needed for the diagnostic treatment and so on and so forth from there. Ortho, neuro, whatever the case may be based on the, uh, the needs of the clients. It just makes it that much easier uh, to, to make sure uh, that your client is going to be in good hands. Uh, so, and then as we grow in coverage area and, and have more and more providers uh, sign on, 
um, and it it just it just goes from there. You can be you can be in uh, in Florida or the other day I was I was on vacation in uh, in Tulum, Mexico, and, I, and we got a, a, a new client. And I just sent my staff to the to the site, and they were able to find a provider to treat the client with no problems, and and I knew that that um, the client would be taken well taken care of. So. Um couple more questions. What are the most challenging issues you face when a case settles? And um, selfishly asking just about types of things that we typically deal with, like negotiating healthcare liens, whether it's an ERISA plan or hospital liens. Yeah. Um, yes. Dealing with Medicare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those, those are, I mean, I, I, I know it's a, a shameless plug as they call it, but I mean, it's it's so true. Um, before uh, synergy settlement, we my staff, my paralegal would spend could literally spend months dealing with trying to get a hospital lien resolved. And during that time, the client is also waiting for those months uh, to be able to recover their 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 settlement proceeds and also as a firm and on the business side i'm waiting for months because i can't uh get the fees and costs uh on the work that i've done even though the case is the case is pretty much done we've already gotten the settlement but it's just sitting there as we try to figure out and negotiate and find who to talk to at the hospital or at medicare or whatever the case may be, uh, so that we can get get the, the amount done and be able to disperse to our clients. So um, that that is like one of the most frustrating things to know that, you know, you put all that hard work in, you got an excellent result for the client, but and you have the, the check and you have the money in the bank, but you can't do anything with it. You can't give it to your client. Meanwhile, they're calling you, hey, What's going on? You know, I need this money. Uh, I'm, my rent is late. Whatever the case may be, um, and we can't really do anything because we're still trying to get in contact with someone on the other side at, at the hospital or, or with Medicare or and, and you guys know how how long that takes. And since we've worked with you, it's just been so much easier. Uh, we can just basically hand that part of the case over to you. My staff can go on to doing other things and we can let the, the, the client know, hey, this is being worked on and it doesn't take nearly as long either. So um, I guess you guys have the relationships that you've built uh, on your side to be able to, to shortcut what we were trying to create. I mean, why create, why recreate the wheel? You guys already have the wheel. Just have you just have you guys do it as opposed to us having to create the wheel and try and figure out who it is we need to call, what numbers we have. Oh, that number didn't work. It just went to to a voicemail or whatever the case is. So it just it just makes it way way easier that way. I love your point about the client satisfaction part because I think that's something that sometimes is overlooked because the idea you know behind our service is making sure that we protect the net recovery and get that client every dollar that they are entitled to by negotiating as aggressively as possible 
yeah, those right. liens. And then, you know, for the firm, it's, it's just about, as you said, efficiency, making sure that, you know, ultimately your firm can focus on what it does best, which is bringing that next case to resolution or going to trial, not right. haggling with, with lien holders. Last question, and it's open-ended, you, you talk about whatever you want. Um, since it's trial lawyer view, um, my question is, what's your view as a trial lawyer? Well, that is super open-ended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my view as a trial lawyer, um, just in regards to anything, um, yeah. I, I, I think as a trial lawyer, um, I, I think that it's important that we definitely want to focus on one of the things that, that you just mentioned, the satisfaction of our clients. Um, I know it's, it's so easy uh, to uh, look at everyone's social media these days and, you know, or the billboards and, and, and the, the TV commercials and, you know, see all these big numbers. Um, but, you know, that's only a fraction of, of the cases that we see. And not every case is going to go to trial either. Um, and so just because a client doesn't have a million dollar case, just because they don't have 100000 or 250 or $500,000 policy limits, um, it may just be a ten or $25,000 policy limit. To that client, their case is still super important. And I don't think just because, you know, they may only have 10000 or $25,000 in benefits that we should treat them any less. Um, I focus just as hard on those clients as I focus on a uh, client with $100,000 policy limits because when it comes down to it, um, we're in the service industry. That, that's how I see it. We're in the service industry and we're here to serve our clients. And it's not it's not their fault that the person that hit them only had ten thousand or twenty five thousand. They don't they they really don't care. They just want to make sure that they get the best service that that they possibly can get, the best representation that they possibly can get, and that and to know that their attorney did everything in his or her uh, uh, control uh, to take care and look out for them as their client. Man, I love that as an ending point because, you know, for me experiencing this and I, and I got hit by a driver who had a 10 K policy. Thank God. I, I was one of the lucky people that had a lot of UM, um, right. and had it all. That's, important. That's one of the things I try to, to educate my clients about is having uninsured motors coverage. Super important. Well, especially here in Florida, cause you know, most of the drivers are carrying those minimal policies, but I mean, I was right. lucky cause you know, my, my medical bills alone were, I think north of $380,000. So, you know, you get hit by a driver who's only got 10 K and if you don't have that under underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage, you're, you're really going to be in a, a terrible situation. That's happened so many times where I've had clients where they, especially pedestrians or cyclists where they've been hit and been in the hospital for for weeks on end and the person that hit them only has a 10 policy. It's, and I have to tell them, look, this, this is it. There's, there's nothing more to get. And they can't understand why this, why this person did this to them. And they're, they're now in debt and can't work and all this other stuff. So it's, it's really, really 
a tough situation for them. And we see it all the time too. And, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, looking back at what I went through that, that the part about it being a personal injury and it being very personal to you. I mean, if you've been injured because someone else was, you know, unfortunately not paying enough attention, that is something that is hard to deal with. You know, I mean, it, it is really something, you know, once you've experienced it and been through something, you know, pretty traumatizing, you, you it is personal and, and it's hard, you know, when, when my insurance company was litigating this, when I felt like they should settle it, I, I was angry about that. I was angry at the driver for not paying enough attention and taking something away from me that I loved, you know, for at least a period of time. And, and, you know, so those sorts of things I think are what, you know, people don't realize enough is just that how intensely personal something like this is and what it does to your life for whether it's forever or, you know, some period of time, it, either way, it's, it's a significant event. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, I want to make sure that um, if anybody has questions about Injury Assistance Network or has a case that they want to work together with you on, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, simple. Um, you can always reach me at, at my office. Uh, phone is 321-234-2900. Um, my social media um, is, is right here. It's uh, for uh, Facebook. It's at Injury Assistance, uh, Twitter, Injury Assistance 14. Um, no, actually, Insta Instagram is Injury Assistance 14, and Twitter is Injury Assist 14. Um, for the Injury Assistance Network, it's simple. It's just injuryassistancenetwork.com, uh, and there's uh, there's contact me on, on that side as well. And we'll, uh, listeners, we'll link to all of that as well when the podcast episode gets uh, released. And thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode of Trial Lawyer Review, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to Trial Lawyer Review. You can find more at triallawyerreview.com and look for more episodes and more content coming in the future.